Hey, welcome back. Thanks for being with us here on a Wednesday afternoon. Now, a lot more still to get to, including your phone calls, 403-974-8255. But very excited for our next conversation. And what more can you say about this guy uh, and the work he's done? Uh, conquering of the stage as a stand-up comedian. Um, of course, conquering Canadian television. Corner Gas, as you all know, ran for six seasons between 2004 and 2009. Was then a movie in 2014 was then an animated series uh, that wrapped up its run a couple of years ago also hugely successful so from the stage to the screen to the pages brent butt in addition to being a comedian and actor is now an author he's released a new novel it's called huge and it's a psychological thriller no kidding uh, brent butt is going to be a part of wordfest imaginarium Big event uh, coming up starting next week. More details at wordfest.com. More details as well at brentbutt.com, his own website. And he joins us on the line here this afternoon. Brent, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's talk about writing a book. You've obviously written for television. You've written jokes. You've done a lot of writing. But novel writing, that seems like a, a different ball game here. It is, yeah. And I, and I sort of knew going into it that it was going to be significantly different. I didn't really know in what ways, but I knew it was going to be different. Um, but it's something I've always wanted to do. And uh, so I thought, you know, when the pandemic started up, I thought, well, if I don't do it now, when we can't go anywhere or do anything, I'm kind of officially out of excuses. Right. So I sat down to start writing it. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the experience. Well, it's interesting, too. I mean, you know, talk about selling that to a publisher. I mean, you're enough of a name that the idea of, you know, Brent Butt writing a autobiography or, you know, something humorous would be appealing. But when you, you explain that you want to write a novel, you want to write a thriller, what's the reaction? Yeah, I think there was some confusion and befuddlement <laughs> right. because you're right. Like, there, I, I had been approached by publishers who wanted me to write a book. They were like, do you have any interest in writing a book? And I said, oh, I'm actually writing one right now. Yeah, there and you they go. said, oh, oh, great. And, and yeah, they thought it was going to be some kind of a, you know, Brent Butt's favorite hot dogs across the country or something. Sure. And they said, well, what's it about? I said, well, it's a dark and violent psychological thriller. And they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, re oh really? Um, but, I, you know, I was committed to writing it. I knew I was going to write this. This is what I wanted to write. And I... Um, so I was like, you know, let's all have a look when it's done. If it's, it may stink, who knows? But I was very happy with the first draft. I got some great feedback from some other people that I let read it, people who I admire, um, constructive criticism. I went through a number of drafts of the manuscript until it was at a place where myself and my literary agent thought that it was, you know, worth seeing. Yeah. Well, and we yeah. sent it out to publishers, and we had uh, more than one offer. Oh, yeah? Well, it's interesting because you are drawing, in a way, from, from a world you know, you know, working as a stand-up comedian, traveling, you know, all those, all those hours, all those miles on the road. So that, that's kind of the premise for this book, right? These, these three comedians. Yeah, it basically follows three comedians on a rough run of shows through a remote stretch of rural Canada. And two of the comedians do not have a disturbing capacity for violence. And one does, <laughs> presumably. <laughs> a little bit of math will tell you. 
Yeah, so it's, uh, it becomes you know less about them getting laughs and more about them just getting off the road alive because one of the comedians is clearly um, uh, problematic, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Well, not that any of this is based on a true story or anything, but uh, yeah, you do spend endless hours on the road. Sometimes I would imagine maybe with people you kind of know, but don't really know all that much. Like what kind of triggered this this idea? Yeah, I mean, there are those times, but you know, 99 times out of 100, you go on the road and it's just, you know, even if it's, there's challenges and it's difficult, but you're having a lot of fun and you're, you know, you're chasing your dream and you're with somebody that uh, understands they're in the same boat as you. And 99 times out of 100, probably even more, uh, 99 and a half times out of 100, it's fantastic. But there are those X factors that you run into on the road where, you know, the booking agent will say, okay, you're going to, you finish your week in Winnipeg, you're going to meet this guy in Brandon, he's from Montana, and you're going to spend two weeks with him on the road doing some shows. You don't know him. And, you know, there can be times in that situation where you're, driving along and you're listening to this person espouse their views on different things and you realize oh man i I could be in trouble here (laughs) and then you start you know you're listening to them talk and you're looking out the window going wow there's a lot of places to hide my body (laughs) so it's sort of that dread i wanted to i wanted to i'm drawn to books that have a good sense of dread i like reading scary thrillers um that have a good palpable sense of dread and that's what i wanted to bring to this project because there are times when you're on the road as a stand-up where it, you're, you are really uh, swimming in a sea of dread. Yeah, I would imagine, though. I mean, once you've done it long enough and, you know, you've accomplished a lot in, in the business. Um, and by the way, have you, have you been touring much over the last couple of years? I mean, between the pandemic and writing and the animated series wrapping up, have you been doing shows? Yeah, like the pandemic really put a kibosh on it for a while, but then uh, we got back into it once people could start coming out again. And um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, in the new year, I'm going to be hitting the stage a lot. But yeah, I've definitely been at it. I do a lot of like one-off shows, corporate private shows, that kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's still you on a stage telling jokes and, you know, hoping that it, that it goes over well. But uh, do, do you feel differently about it? Do you still have some of that nervousness even after all these years that you had as an up-and-coming comedian, the pressure to do well, the fear of bombing, all of that? Not really. I mean, honestly, none of that. I, I didn't really experience that. I always sort of had a good perspective on comedy. I knew where it stood in the in the grand scheme of things in the world. And if mm-hmm. me bombing in Red Deer, Alberta some night isn't a big deal. I can we can try again tomorrow. So I, I always for whatever reason had a bit of a maybe it's the, you know, coming from depression era farm parents <laughs> who uh, didn't expect a lot out of life other than to just, you know, be kind, have a few laughs and uh so I didn't go into it with any kind of grandiose expectations but and I was fortunate that I was, I seemed to be able to do it. When I first started stand-up, it clicked, and I, I realized, okay, I can do this, and I, got, I did get laughs. And so the only time really on the road that I would get nervous is, you know, when you're playing those difficult venues where you're going into a cowboy bar or a biker right. bar, and they don't even know it's comedy night, and there's no stage, they want you to stand on the pool table, and everybody hates your guts because you're the reason they're not shooting pool. Yeah. And you got to find a way to try and turn that around and get them on board. 
And th- those, the only times that I was really nervous was those times when there was a palpable sense of I could be physically harmed here tonight. And there were a few oh. of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Corner Gas and, and your legacy. And, I mean, it's just so remarkable the run this had, as I mentioned, as, as a sitcom, as a movie, as an animated series. You know, this is... This is like over 15 years of your life. And now, what's it like that it's all kind of behind you now? Yeah, it is a little strange. This is the first, you know, 2023 was the first year that I really didn't have a lot of corner gas related duties. You know, there's still the odd bit of administrative stuff that draggles along, but we weren't in production. And um, yeah, it was very strange because, like you said, this started for me. Really, 20 years ago. We started right. shooting Corner Gas in 2003. And, you know, we kind of looked at it like, well, here's something we get to do for the summer. This will be cool, but nobody's going to watch this little show about a gas station in Saskatchewan. So we'll do these 13 episodes, blessed to get them uh, out there in the world, and then we'll all go our separate ways. But instead, you know, it was pretty much, you know, 18 or 19 years of corner gas business and it was it changed my life in a thousand ways yeah i would imagine that it did Uh, just the way it it resonated right the impact it had how popular it was which maybe in a way you know the the premise as you say doesn't necessarily scream out mega hits so what is it about the show the characters uh you know the canadianness of it like what do you think resonated so much with people well, I think there is more of a universality to it than we thought going in. I mean, first of all, the characters are all sort of they're sort of archetypal characters in a way. I think no matter where you grew up, you know people similar to this. I mean, everybody's got kind of, you know, that dumb buddy from high school that, that you're like, why am I best friends with this guy? <laughs> We've been best friends since we were six, and he's never said anything remotely intelligent and always causes problems. <laughs> And yet you'd go to the wall for Yeah, You know, everybody knows sort of authoritarian figures who aren't particularly good at what they do, but they're in charge. Everybody knows a cranky old guy. It's it's like you... And so people responded to that because, you know, we had a guy from Sweden say, this is exactly like my village where I grew up in Sweden. We had a guy from New York City say, this is my neighborhood exactly. So it really... You know, we didn't make it about Saskatchewan. It sort of happened to take place in Saskatchewan. But it was really about how people deal with each other on a day-to-day basis and how little things can turn into big things. And I think, you know, that's a lot of, if you look at a lot of the top sitcoms historically, from the Honeymooners, I Love Lucy, up through Seinfeld, you know, it's a small, it shows with small premises Mm -hmm. where, you you know, it's not about, oh, an alien comes to Earth and a family (laughs) of robots adopts them, and now it's the aliens and robots and they're living together. It's a, it was it wasn't high concept. It was like life in a little town, and there may and it's maybe you know there's more going on than you think. Yeah, it's always kind of reminded me of like The Simpsons was set in Springfield, and there's a you know a dozen or more Springfields in the United States, and and The Simpsons Springfield was never specific to any one state. It was just it could be anywhere, and I think it was similar here that Dog River could have been in Alberta or Manitoba or Ontario. Like there was that sort of universality to it in that sense wasn't it yeah absolutely and when and when it started showing in the states people were like this is missouri this is kansas this is nebraska 
like I said, it just it's it appealed to more people culturally than we thought, and across an incredibly wide demographic, from little kids to teenagers who hate everything, seem to you know we'd hear from families like this is the one show our teenagers will sit down and watch with us, all the way up through you know eighty uh, year olds, nine year olds. It, it had this incredibly broad demographic. I, I remember. Um, an opening act when I was on tour, my opening act said one time, Brent, Brent, uh, his comedy appeals to a very specific demographic of carbon-based life forms between the age of four and 98. <laughs> uh, so the book is out. It's called Huge. Uh, so next week, you're going to be uh, on stage. Uh, with Linwood Barclay. This is happening October 12th uh, as part of WordFest. Uh, Linwood Barclay, yeah. not bad. I know, I'm such a fan. I, <laughs> I grew up, I shouldn't say grew up, but I mean, I was, I've read a lot of his books, and he, he was always somebody like, if a new Linwood Barclay book came out, I would be keen to get it. And then I, I came to learn that he was following me on Twitter, and turned out he was a fan of our show, and so we started talking on Twitter a little bit, and just kind of got to know each other uh, a little. And I met him for the first time when I was doing a stand-up show uh, in Oakville, Ontario. He and his wife came to the show. And he actually agreed to read an early draft of my novel, um, which was incredibly helpful. He gave me some very great advice. So, you know, to, to go from being a big fan of Linwood Barclay to sitting on stage at WordFest in Calgary and having Linwood interview me about my novel... It's kind of surreal to me. Yeah, no kidding. Well, the novel's called Huge. Uh, the event is called uh, The Huge Show. Next week, wordfest.com. Uh, Brent, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. It was my pleasure. Nice talking to you. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.